Father, always when we open up your word, we need to come and confess that we need your help. Um, and our prayer is that the Spirit who inspired these words to be written long ago um, would now come and help us as we read and give us wisdom and give us insight um, and give us light to walk by in our lives. Um, Father, we want to pray that we would be receptive this morning, um, that you would give us believing hearts and obedient hearts so that your word would bear fruit uh, in the way that we live this week and in the days ahead. Um, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I want to start with, if Caleb can give power to my clicker. Um, I want to start with this. Um, back, back 20 years ago, um, there was a, a photographer called Peter Menzel um, who took on a, um, a fascinating project where he, he traveled around the world to about 30 countries. And in each country, he found uh, a statistically average family in that nation. Uh, and he got them to bring all of their earthly possessions out in front of their house, everything that they owned. And he took a, uh, a family portrait of the family with everything that they own. And it was compiled into a book, which uh, some of you may have. Um, but uh, I'm going to show you just a few of the images. So that's a family in Bhutan. Um, I don't know if you know where Bhutan is, somewhere, somewhere in Asia. Um, that's a family in Mali on the roof of their home uh, with all their belongings uh, in West Africa. There's a family in India with all of their earthly possessions um, in front of their home. Um, and of course, as he traveled around the world, the contrast uh, became very clear. Uh, there's a family in Thailand, and um, you get a bit more variety of there's chickens under the, the cage there, but also television and all kinds of things in the background. Um, this was a family in Tokyo in Japan, uh, where houses tend to be small, but with lots of things uh, packed in there. Um, and then this was a family in California in the USA. They actually had to raise the family up on a, 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 a sort of thing at the front at a higher height so they could get them in a shot uh, with all of their possessions. And so I wonder if somebody did that with you and your household or your family, what your photograph would look like. What would it look like if all your earthly possessions were scattered on the lawn in front of your house? Um, I wonder, wonder what the photo would be like. Uh, we, may, we may come back to that um, a little bit later on. Um, but I want to read with you from Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're reading from verse 19. There's a bit of a shift here. We've been, we've been in the middle section of the Sermon on the Mount, um, thinking about not performing our righteousness before other people. But now we come into a section dealing very much with money and material things and the way we live in relation to them. So uh, Matthew chapter 6, reading from verse 19. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's where we're going to stop uh, for this week. Um, wonder how you feel as we read those words, um, which I'll come to that in a wee second. Um, this, this teaching from Jesus, we've said many times in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' teaching is very, uh, at times very blunt and very direct and very uncomfortable. Um, and maybe, uh, nowhere, nowhere else more so than here. Um, this teaching is really challenging, uh, for us. And so if you're anything like me, maybe you want to immediately kind of take evasive action and find a way to soften the blue because we feel a bit, uh, a bit uncomfortable, uh, with this teaching. And so I want to mention two, two of my favorite strategies. If you want to get out of this teaching, right? Here, here are two strategies you can try. Um, I'm being a little sarcastic here, but, um, one strategy is to think of someone you know who is richer than you, right? And say, look at them. Um, look at all the stuff that they own. Um, they definitely need to hear this teaching from Jesus, right? And that, that's a, that can be a very effective way of sidestepping the teaching. We can slip quietly away and get on with our lives and think there are definitely people who were in the room this morning who needed to hear that, or there's people I know who needed to hear that. Um, really important that we remember it's not, it's not my job to apply this teaching for anybody else. It's not your job to apply it to your neighbor. It's, it's our responsibility to let it challenge us where we are. Um, so I want to encourage you, don't start thinking about other people who need this more than you this morning. Um, it's worth reflecting, and the, the photos maybe reflected this at the beginning. Um, we live in a world where a billion people today live on less than a dollar a dollar a day. And maybe three billion people live on less than two dollars a day. So by global standards, all of us here are exceedingly wealthy. And I know there's great disparity and inequality even in our own country and maybe even within our own church. Um, and I think the Lord will be gentle with each of us uh, where he needs to be gentle in helping us apply this to our own lives. And maybe some of us will need more gentleness and some of us maybe less so. Um, but this teaching is for all of us. So that's one strategy, is to uh, point at someone else. Um, here's another promising strategy. Um, I find if you drop this passage in a group of Christians for discussion, um, it usually takes less than five minutes before someone in the room will say, of course, it's not wrong to be rich. Money itself isn't the problem. It's the love of money that's the issue. And that I, you can almost count uh, the time before that will be said. Um, now, this is a promising angle because it contains a lot of truth. Um, Jesus is interested in the heart and the love of money is the root of the issue. Um, what we love is really important and we're going to see that as we go on. Um, but I also think this can be a creative cop-out um, because we can end up implying that we don't need to change our behavior at all. We can just keep doing what we're doing and keep living like everybody else around us. But 
kind of be reassured that we have this invisible internal attitude that nobody can see that is different and distinct. So we make it entirely a matter of internals and invisibles rather than of our life in the world. Um, and I think that's a bit of a cop-out. Whatever is in our heart is going to flow out into our life. And you can tell what someone loves by watching their life. And it's going to make a tangible, visible difference to how they live. Whether we've got a little or whether we've got a lot, what we love is going to flow out into how we live. Um, and so this teaching from Jesus needs to not just challenge our hearts, but also our wallets and our bank accounts and our shopping habits. So it starts in the heart and then it flows out into the way that we live. So I don't know if you recognize either of those evasive actions um, as ones that, that you might want to reach for, uh, but I want to encourage us not to try to sidestep the teaching of Jesus. Whatever Jesus teaches us is for our good. It's for our freedom. It's for our healing uh, to make us well, to make us fully alive. So we don't need to be scared of it, even when it's a wee bit uncomfortable. Um, so I want to try and look at it honestly uh, with all of us this morning. Um, what does it mean to store up treasures on earth? Um, I wonder what that phrase kind of conveys to you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Um, I think the language very much speaks of um, a mentality of hoarding, of piling up, of collecting more and more and more. Um, it speaks of a kind of acquisitiveness where we're always wanting more. Um, and of course, it only takes a second to reflect. Um, that's part of the logic of our society, uh, to always want more. It's kind of the way our society is almost designed. You get rid of your TV and you get a bigger, flatter one. You get rid of your phone and you get a very similar phone that's meant to be way better. Um, you trade in your car for a better car. You move to a better neighborhood or a bigger house. You tear down your old barns and you build bigger ones. That's the logic of our world. Um, and if we're not able to do those things, then we, we wish we could. Um, we're part of a society where that, that desire for more is always there. Um, I was thinking about this, so I was thinking, I think there's an interesting twist on all this in our time, because um, actually in our modern world, sometimes we don't spend our money on things that you can kind of, you could pile on your lawn, um, but we spend our money on experiences um, and services where you don't actually have anything tangible to show, whether it's a Netflix subscription or a holiday or whatever. Um, but I think the logic of more and more and more is the same. Uh, we, we have a desire sometimes to go on better holidays or to eat in fancier restaurants or go out more often or to take up more expensive hobbies. And so we'd like our lifestyle to expand, even if the things we're spending money on are not uh, things as such. Um, so um, Jesus says to us very directly, um, we're not to live that way. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Um, and Jesus gives us reasons not to live this way. He doesn't just give us the command, but he gives us reasons. And I, I want to simply walk through them one by one and just pay attention to them uh, with you this morning. Um, so the first one is this, as we think about the love of money and things, that these treasures are temporary and fragile. 
They get eaten by moths and vermin, or in the older translations, by moths and rust, uh, or they get stolen by thieves. They're, they're vulnerable to loss and decay. Um, and of course, that's why we have so much worry and anxiety around our possessions, whether we have a lot or a little. Um, and we'll be looking at the theme of worry and anxiety uh, directly next week. Uh, but we, we need locks and safes and alarm systems and insurance policies to protect the things we own from loss and harm. Um, and still, even though we have all those protections, we still worry. Um, what if I lose my job? What if there's another financial crash? What if uh, I get sick or have an accident? What if there's a fire? What if there's a flood? What if there's theft? Um, and in the modern world, we also have new anxieties about cybercrime and identity theft and other ways that our stuff could get stolen. Um, all the stuff we own is vulnerable to loss and decay. Um, and even if we could successfully protect ourselves against um, thieves and damage and all those kind of things, we'll eventually lose our treasures when we die. Um, so Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. So in the end, there's that vulnerability that, that is brought by, by death. So all of our treasures are temporary and fragile. And the second thing, second reason not to live acquisitively, wanting more and more and more, um, is that our hearts become attached to these things. Um, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, I always notice he doesn't say, store up as much treasure as you like, as you like, um, cause your, your heart might get attached to it. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. If you spend your days thinking about money and the treasures it can buy and talking about those things and scheming and dreaming and planning and plotting about those things, then your heart will actually get tied to those things, kind of entangled with them. There's a kind of gravitational magnetic pull that they have on our hearts. Um, and really, I think what Jesus is talking about here is worship. Whatever you give the best of yourself to, um, that is the thing that your heart truly worships. Whatever you give the best of your time and energy and gifts and passion to, that is your idol, that is your God, that is the thing that your heart truly loves. Um, and so I find myself wondering, well, what happens when a human being worships money and material things? Um, it says in the Bible, in Proverbs, the heart is the wellspring of your life. That's where your uh, your life comes from. So what impact will it have on a human life if your heart is given over to money and gadgets and cars and houses and holidays and home furnishings? What will that do to a human life if our heart gets attached to those things? And I think um, our next point uh, makes this really clear. Um, our lives will become darkened. Um, this is maybe the the trickiest bit of the passage that we read, Jesus starts talking about how the eye is the lamp of the body. And it seems like a little bit of a, a change of topic. Um, and if that little bit about the eye um, and, uh, and the body stood alone, uh, we might think Jesus was talking about what we look at. Um, and maybe going back to what we, when we talked about lust a number of weeks ago um, and the, the things that we look at. Um, but the section about the eye and the body comes in between two sections that are both very clearly about 
money and material possessions. Um, so I think we can assume it's continuing the same theme. So what does Jesus mean when he says, talks about the eye being the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, um, and so on? Um, it may start to make sense uh, if we make this observation. Um, I think this, this came from a, a commentator I was reading, and it made sense to me, that the eye is to the body as the heart is to the life. Right? So you can take that away and think about it. But the eye is to the body as the heart is to your life. So your eye is incredibly important to the rest of your body because it lets the light in and it shows you what's around you and it allows you to move and act in the world with your hands and your feet and do all the other things that you do with your body. Um, and when your eyes are unhealthy and get dimmed, then the world becomes dim and dark and it's hard for your body to do anything else the way uh, you'd done before. And your heart plays a similar role in your whole life. When your heart is healthy, when it's centered on God and rooted in God, then your whole life will be full of light. But when your heart becomes unhealthy for any reason, your whole life becomes filled with darkness. I think that's the analogy. Um, and so this is kind of a very um, stark thing that Jesus is saying. The love of money and possessions brings darkness into your life. Um, that's a pretty strong warning. Um, it reminds me a little bit of what Paul says very famously in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, when he says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money lies at the root of all kinds of evil. Um, and again, that, that sounds pretty stark, doesn't it? Um, if I was to ask you um, how a person's life is infected with evil and darkness, um, I wonder what you would say. Um, I imagine we might immediately start talking about sexual sin or alcohol and drugs or dabbling in the occult or these kind of things. That's where evil comes from. That's where darkness comes from. Uh, and there are real dangers in all of those places that I've mentioned. Um, but when I read the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the New Testament, um, I find myself wondering, are we sufficiently alert to the danger that lies in the realm of money and possessions? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, the love of money brings darkness into our lives. The love of money can lead people to do all kinds of things. And maybe you can reflect on examples you've seen or known uh, in your own life for the people around you. Um, the love of money can lead people to neglect their marriage. It can lead people to neglect their kids. It can lead people to act in more and more dishonest ways, to bend the rules, to blur the lines, to compromise in all kinds of ways. It can lead people to betray friends and relatives. Um, it can even lead, in extreme cases, to violence and murder. Um, somebody has, uh, I think, very helpfully and famously said, we're, we're meant to use things and love people, but we can very easily end up um, using people and loving things. And so all kinds of darkness and evil in human life can come from this root. So the, your, your life can become uh, darkened. And then there's this, this fourth reason, um, that your love for God will be dimmed. Jesus says you can't love both God and money. 
Um, I wonder, do you ever wonder how someone can be on fire for God and then end up drifting away? Or or end up still a believer but kind of lukewarm and just having lost their spark and lost their fire and lost their passion? Um, I wonder, do you ever wonder for yourself what happened to your own first love and the passion and the fire that used to be there? Um, I think Jesus' teaching um, can help us in our discernment here. This is one of the main causes of spiritual drift. You can't love both God and money. Um, If you give the best of yourself to money and possessions, your love for God will fade and cool and dim. In fact, Jesus' words suggest you can even end up hating God um, at the end of that route. Um, And again, maybe this surprises us. If I was to ask you to list the things that cause people to drift spiritually, I wonder what you would list. What are the things that pull people away from their love for God? But it seems to me when I read the teaching of Jesus, Jesus puts this one first. This is the thing most likely to take God's place in your heart and your life. Um, And again, Paul in 1 Timothy 6, you can kind of read these two passages side by side, is just as direct and blunt as Jesus. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You can go and read that later in in 1 Timothy 6. Um, Or I wonder if you remember the parable Jesus told about the sower uh, later on in Matthew, in Matthew 13. And do you remember some of the seed fell among weeds and thorns? And so when something started to grow, it got choked by the, the weeds and the thorns that entangled it. Um, and I wonder, do you remember what the weeds were in that parable? Um, again, it's they're not, as we might expect, sex and drugs and rock and roll. Um, what, what are the weeds? They are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Those are the things that choke Uh, the good seed of God's word and make it unfruitful. So Jesus warns us the love of money can make our love for God dim. So we've walked through the the passage. I wonder how you feel um, as we we walk through those things. Jesus um, is so direct, so challenging in what he says. Um, Maybe maybe let let me ask this. What what do we do Um, if we feel challenged about these things, if we feel uncomfortable, if we feel convicted in some way by the things that we're we're thinking about. Um, And I want to suggest um, maybe three parts to our response. Um, The first one is this, um, very simple. Confess your sins and turn to God. Um, That sounds very direct. Um, The the love of money, um, the Bible speaks very directly of as a sin to be repented of. In fact, even as idolatry, Um, every bit as much as the other sins that we tend to give more attention to. Uh, The Bible speaks of this one as as a sin. It's the worship of a false god. Um, And so I want to encourage you, uh, whenever whenever the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's not to make us gloomy and to make us feel bad and to make us burdened and to walk around with a long face. It's to set us free from things that entangle us. So I want to encourage you when you feel convicted in this area. Come and confess your sin to God. Tell him, I've given my heart to things that are not God. I've given the best of myself 
to things that are not God and then turn um, from created things to the creator, from idols to worship the living God. Um, and God is always waiting to forgive our sin, to welcome us uh, whenever we, we respond in that kind of way. So that's kind of the first thing. Um, confess your sins, turn to God when you feel convicted. Um, but then the second thing maybe is this. I want to come back to this picture of um, possessions out on your lawn. Um, why, why am I putting that image up on the screen? Well, maybe for this reason. When, when the people of God um, in the Old Testament turned from idols, um, part of the problem often was that they would come to God and say, we're really sorry. And they would kind of promise that from now on, we'll give our hearts only to God. We're not going to go back to those idols. But they often left the idols standing on the high places. Um, in other words, they thought they could have a change of heart without taking any drastic action to tear down their idols. And I wonder if sometimes we can deceive ourselves in a similar way. We, we would love to just maybe feel a wee bit uncomfortable while we're talking about this in church and then maybe go later on and have a prayer time where we confess to God that we've loved money too much and say, I want to turn back to you and put you first in my life. But then maybe not make any other changes um, to our lives. Leave our idols untouched. Um, and I think we need to be more honest than that. Um, and maybe maybe this is a good visual image um, that could be helpful. Maybe uh, what we need to do is kind of do a stock check of everything that we own and kind of imagine it all laid out. Um, I'm not actually suggesting you go and put it on your, your front lawn. You, you can do that if you want to. Um, but lay out everything that you own. Um, and old preachers used to talk about uh, laying it on the altar. And I think that's a good phrase. Uh, lay it all out before God um, and say to God, there is nothing that I own that was not in the first place a gift from you. I don't have anything that has not been given to me. And whatever I have has been given to me not to store up for myself, but to use to serve God and to bless others. And so I want to make it all available. And just open your hand with everything that you have and offer it back to the God who gave it to you in the first place. Um, so I want, to, I want to suggest that's the second thing. Firstly, if you feel convicted, just come to God and confess your sins and turn your heart back to him. Secondly, lay out everything you possess um, before God and lay it on the altar. And then the third thing is this. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Um, and this is where I think it gets kind of exciting because you and I have the opportunity to invest our lives and everything that we own um, in God's eternal kingdom. We can invest everything we are, everything we have in God's kingdom, which lasts forever. Whatever you, you have in your house, whatever you have in your hands, whatever you have in your bank account, uh, whatever you have in your life, hold it lightly. Don't store it up and hoard it for yourself, but use it to love God and to love other people. Invest it for the, the eternal kingdom of God. And whenever we do that, our actions have eternal significance. Um, sometimes I think that's going to be really obvious. Um, we're going to get to be involved in seeing someone come to faith in Jesus or we're going to get to be involved in seeing people grow in their faith. And so we can kind of see that those things 
have eternal significance. Um, I think sometimes living our lives in this way is also going to involve small actions that maybe to us don't look eternal. They don't look like uh, big spiritual actions. Um, they might be giving a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty, sharing your food with someone who's hungry, welcoming a stranger or someone who's lonely into your home. Um, have you ever noticed how often Jesus tells us again and again that those kinds of little actions matter? Um, and I think there's something there where in the economy of God's kingdom, none of those little actions is ever lost or wasted. God is building a kingdom that is eternal, that will last forever, that will never be shaken. And whatever we do with him and for him and in his name, whether it's a big missionary adventure, a big spiritual thing, or whether it's a very small act of kindness, will be woven into the story of that eternal kingdom. And so as Paul says, writing to the Corinthians, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The things you do with God and for God will never be wasted. They last forever because God's kingdom lasts forever. Um, and so I want to encourage you to go away this week and think about what that might mean for you to take everything that you have in your life and offer it to God and make it available to God and invest it for the things that matter to God um, in loving God and loving other people. Um, I want to finish just with, with one example. Um, and uh, this is just one that's been in my mind this week. Um, but some of you may have read some things this week um, that were tributes paid to this man, a man called John Stott. Um, it was the, the 100th uh, anniversary of his birth. And so there were tributes that were all over social media this week um, and so on. Um, John Stott uh, was someone who had a huge influence on me when I was a young man. Um, and I was really struck reading some of the tributes this week. Um, Stott was brought up in a really wealthy home um, his father was Sir somebody Stott, I can't remember his uh, first name. Um, his father had ambitions for John to be a diplomat. He wanted him to be to work for the government and uh, work around the world in that kind of role. He went to private school, he went to Cambridge. Um, but his the course of his life was changed by meeting Jesus at the age of 17 at a, at a youth camp that he was at. And John Stott gave his life to something that doesn't sound very glamorous compared to being a diplomat. Um, he dedicated his life to teaching the Bible. And he was a humble, gracious, joyful uh, expositor of God's word. That's what he did with his life. Um, and he ended up influencing people all over the world through his teaching and his books. Uh, but among the tributes that I read this week, I was especially struck by uh, one one person I read who talked about visiting John Stott in London um, when Stott was already an internationally well-known uh, speaker. And Stott had him round to his apartment and he lived in a, a in a little flat in London that had one bedroom and one little living room kitchen. And that's where he lived. Um, and Stott, especially in the later years of his life, focused his time and his money that came from his books on investing in the church, especially in the developing world, in Africa and Asia and South America. Um, and he didn't become a powerful or wealthy person in the world's eyes. When they write a history of Britain from a political point of view, uh, they won't talk about John Stott. Uh, but this week, people all over the world, including especially 
in Africa and Asia and in the, the parts of the world that have less were celebrating the life of someone that they called Uncle John because of the way that he enriched their lives. He invested what he had in the kingdom of God. He was storing up treasure in heaven. Um, and I do want to say as I finish, you don't have to be a preacher to do that. Um, you can be a, a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker or um, anything. Um, but you can take what you have and offer it to God. And it's a life much richer uh, than anything else uh, that we can imagine. Um, let's pray uh, as we finish and then we're going to sing. Um, Father, I want to pray that you would help each of us um, to take this uh, challenging teaching from Jesus um, and seriously reflect on it in our own lives. Father, help us not to evade it or run away from it or make excuses or try to sidestep it. Um, we do trust you that whatever you challenge us about is for our good and for our freedom and for fullness of life. And so, Father, I want to pray, would, would your Holy Spirit come and help us work out how this applies to our lives? Um, Father, show us where we need to live more simply. Father, show us where we need to live more generously. Um, Father, I want to pray, even as we've listened to these things, that we might get a little excited by the thought that our little lives, as we invest what we have in the things that really matter, in the life of your kingdom, um, that we can play a part in the story of your kingdom and in the things that will last forever. Um, Father, I want to pray you would loosen the grip that we have on the things of this world and on money and possessions. Um, help us to live joyfully um, and gladly, uh, wanting to use whatever we have to love you and to love others. Um, Father, I pray your spirit uh, would take these things and help us work it out in detail, uh, in the details of our lives. Um, help us to have good conversations this week about how we apply this to our lives. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.